1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. As I mentioned yesterday, in all my 40 years or so of being a Christian, I've never sensed the relevancy of a portion of Scripture for our present need more than this passage in 1 Peter chapter 4. For I believe it deals with a divine subject which God's people are facing at this very moment. And so I covet your prayers as I seek to preach this amazing truth that Peter proclaims here in this fourth chapter. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, again the last three verses of this amazing chapter. Peter says, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what's this solemn declaration? What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely, scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, because of what all he just said, wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are in such dire need this morning of the Spirit of God to guide us in this truth. For the words of men shall fall infinitely short. Lord, I pray that you would be lifted up this morning. I pray that, Father, you would glorify yourself, and I pray that, Lord, you'd use me as I seek to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, and I pray that you'd help us to understand this divine exhortation which was given so many years ago, for the time is come. Your timing, your sovereign, divinely appointed time has come that judgment must, must begin at the house of God. Lord, I pray. Open up our eyes, encourage and strengthen us in thy truth. For vain is the help of men. We love you and we thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. You know, it's strange that Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter would use such words of exhortation, especially since he just encouraged those who were facing fiery trials and reproaches for the name of Christ and suffering as a Christian to rejoice and be happy and never ashamed of suffering as a Christian. Yet these words of the Apostle Peter, I believe, would prove to be one of the strongest exhortations to persevere under such trials and reproaches. He's not diminishing the exhortations to be happy and rejoice and not be ashamed. He's cementing, he's encouraging, he's strengthening his exhortation to these suffering believers by reminding them that they are all children of a sovereign God, a creator of heaven and earth. For though such sufferings as Christians, though for now, presently, are happy occasions to rejoice and glorify God, 
Yet Peter declares and proclaims they will, in God's divinely appointed time, usher in a divine judgment. Listen to me. This is what Peter is saying. Though now at the present such sufferings are occasions of happiness and glorifying God, yet they will usher in a time of God's appointment of divine judgment, one which must begin, Peter says must begin, in the house of God, yet shall end with the damnation of the ungodly and sinner. So it begins with God's people and rolls as a rolling wave onto the ungodly and sinner to their damnation. So what begins with us ends with their damnation. A judgment that purges us for our benefit and God's glory. That same judgment shall condemn the ungodly and sinner. What an amazing statement. What an amazing statement when you consider it. God would consider such a thing that Peter would have them understand that sufferings and afflictions and reproaches shall usher in a divine judgment of God upon his house and then eventually upon the whole world. And yet how is it that the coming of such divine judgment can be a great exhortation to persevere under such present sufferings? How is it that Peter believes that this exhortation, this declaration of divine judgment could ever be an encouragement to persevere? So I pray you listen close and that you secretly pray while you're listening that God will enable me to declare this in a way, in a fashion that it would be understood and the Holy Spirit of God would help us to grasp what Peter is saying here because I believe it is so so important for us, especially in this day and age in which this world finds itself today. Peter wants the suffering believers and us to know by the Holy Spirit that the sufferings and reproaches which the believers face in this present world are not only temporary, but could never be compared to the devastating and eternal sufferings which await the ungodly and sinners. He puts them, so to say, in a balance. The sufferings that we are suffering now temporarily can never be weighed with the sufferings of the eternal damnation of the ungodly and sinner. So it's almost like that psalmist or that verse in Scripture says, He's not rewarded us according to our iniquities. Peter would have them understand their sufferings in the light of eternity and God's divine judgment. No matter what God brings upon His people, no matter how severe we might suffer, reproaches and persecutions, our sufferings will never be able to be compared to the sufferings of the ungodly and sinner in their damnation of God. You see, that's an odd way to look at our sufferings. Is it? Are we not told to set our affections on things above? Are we not told constantly to look on the things of eternity, the things that are not seen? This is one of the greatest exhortations to persevere. You'll never suffer what the ungodly and sinner shall suffer. Even in our hearts as God's children, we know that we deserved it before Christ. Look at Psalm 73. We sang that. Psalm, which is amazing. 
I love how God's bearing witness every Sunday to somebody's testimony or scripture. Psalm 73. It bears light on this in the Old Testament. I want you to look at this. I want you to be patient and listen to the Word of God this morning. Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasses them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Sounds like the world, doesn't it? They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And where and, and is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my, cleansed my, hand, my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Present sufferings. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Sounds like Peter, right? What shall the end be? Then I understood their end. Listen to the psalmist. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. Where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my veins. So foolish was I in ignorance. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. You see Peter in here? Now watch this. Look what it produced in David. Listen to this. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion, my portion, my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Sounds a lot like Peter, don't it? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, verse 19 of First Peter 4, commit, <laughs> commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Oh, dearly beloved, it's no wonder Peter would combine these two together. 
that this would be a great source of exhortation and comfort and encouragement for us to persevere. Never shall we suffer at the hands of God's penal judgment because of Christ. And anything we suffer in this present life, oh, for the cause of Christ is truly worth it. Peter would have us compare our sufferings to that of the ungodly and sinner. In no way, no fashion shall we ever suffer in such a degree. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever pondered that, what we truly deserve? Those old hymns, not the newer ones, the old ones often inspire us to examine and survey the old cross. To look and see his sufferings and pain. Not that we might dwell upon that, but that we also might dwell upon what we deserve as sinners. Was I that deserved thy place? Mine, mine was the transgressions, but thine the deadly pain. Oh, when we're suffering for the cause of Christ, Peter said, be reminded, it'll never, it'll never equal that of the ungodly and the sinner. For the time has come, he says in verse 17. Isn't that amazing? Peter wrote this a long time ago. Back then, believers were saying it's around the corner. Peter said the time has come. Look how many years have passed since then. I believe Peter speaking to our faith. The time has come. The time has always been present for the Christians concerning the coming judgment of God. The time has come, not of man's choosing, but of God's, is what Peter says. Man doesn't choose this time, but God does. That's something we need to take into consideration when we look at this passage of Scripture. The time has come. It's God's time, not man's time. It's appointed by a sovereign God not to be changed. There's a time set. There's a time set for God to bring judgment upon His house and then upon the whole world. It's a time set, and we as believers got to believe that. It's a set time. Even John the Baptist, when he came, for him it was a set time when he called, flee from the wrath of God. Flee from the wrath to come. He preached it as though the wrath was at the very point of his existence. He, he pleaded or pleaded and preached and, and told them about the wrath of God as though it was standing before him. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And a time to every purpose. Ecclesiastes 3.1 A time to every purpose. So Peter says there's a time. There's a time. How can that comfort us? It's a God-set time. It's going to happen. It's not a possibility. It's not a chance. It's not fate. It's a God-set time. Peter speaks to our faith. The time is come. This is how we preach the gospel to a sinner. We don't say you don't have tomorrow and next week and next month. The time is now. Today is the day of repentance. We preach as though judgment is coming now. Yet churches today preach as though judgment lingers. Oh, you have time. You can think about it. You can wait. It might be two months, a year, three years. We don't know. So you have time to wait and be patient. No, our forefathers preach. Today is the day of salvation. It is time for you to repent. You have no time to wait. 
The urgency in our forefathers' preaching of the gospel was much, much more fervent than the urgency we hear today in the preaching of the gospel. In most preaching of the gospel today, we give the sinner the belief or the understanding or at least a little bit of an understanding that he has time to wait. It's okay if you linger. It's not okay if you linger. It's not okay if you wait. You don't understand. You're one heartbeat away from this time. This was to be a great encouragement to every suffering believer. For as our times are in His hand, so too is great encouragement in knowing and believing that there is divinely set time for such judgment to come. There is a time. It is now time, for the time is come. I believe Peter is speaking to our faith. And I hear people now, I mean, there were scoffers in the days of Noah. Remember, Peter even talks about that. Where is the promise of his coming? There's people today saying, oh, Peter said that so many years ago. Oh, yes, he said it so many years ago. But if the time has come and so many years has passed, that time is closer than then, right? It's closer than before. It's closer than ever. How do you know it's closer than ever? Look at God's judgment upon his church. Do you see it? In America, throughout the world, do you see it? We're getting there, but sufferings, afflictions, reproaches, they usher in God's divine judgment. Look what's happening in Afghanistan. Look what's happening in communist countries with Christians. Look what's happening to Christianity in America. God's judging his house. God's judging his house. Do we see that as Christians? Do we see that? If they usher in divine judgment in God's house, they're also ushering in eternal damnation for the ungodly and sinners. What an incentive that is to search your own hearts before God and also to go out with preaching the gospel with an urgency that the sinner has no time. Old Testament verse, Habakkuk chapter 2 said, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, for the time has come, it's tarrying. Though it tarry, wait for it. Wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up in, in him, not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Though it tarry, wait. For the time has come. It's been a long time since Peter first penned down these words by the Holy Spirit. But every generation of Christians that have truly believed the Word of God and been inspired by it and grafted into their hearts, the time has always come. We've lost sight of that as Christians. It's almost like when we were young as children, we thought we'd live forever. We thought we were invincible. We did things that nowadays if our children do, we'd whip them from here to tomorrow. <laughs> now that we're older, we realize how much time goes by so quickly. The time has come. 
wait. But how do we wait? Well, we wait with courage, right? Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. It takes courage to wait on the Lord, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, in the look to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord, but the time has come. The time has come. The time has come. I like what Spurgeon said about waiting, and I quote, he says, it may seem an easy thing to wait, but it is one of the postures which a Christian soldier learns not without years of teaching. What do you mean by that? Most young Christians are impatient. They want to charge hell with a water pistol. They want to do things so presumptuously. Have we not learned as we've grown older to be patient and wait? That our impatience has coughed and caused us problems and heartaches and sorrows. <laughs> he says, marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. End of quote. The time has come. Do you believe the time has come? That judgment must begin at the house of God? Do you believe the time is here? The judgment is beginning at the house of God? You say, preacher, every generation has thought that, yes, and that's what motivated them to live the Christian life and preach the gospel to every creature. They lived as though the time was standing right before them. Judgment was on the horizon. Do we live in such urgency as them? Hebrews says, now faith is the substance, the ground, the confidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is, right? And there's no greater substance, there's no greater evidence for the believer's faith and hope than God's own word, right? Things not seen, there's no greater substance, there's no greater evidence. We're not looking for things that we can see with a carnal eye, right? We're looking into God's Word. We're letting God's Word be a lamp under our feet. God's Word must guide us and direct us. The only reason we don't see the horizon of God's divine judgment where we are today is because we're not looking within God's Word. We're looking out of the world. Again, Spurgeon says, Our faith would lose its glory on anything discernible by the carnal eye. Our faith would lose its glory on anything discernible by the carnal eye. How true that is. Peter says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Stay with me. I want you to, hear, I want you to, I want you to see the wording. I want you to see that how these things are, how Peter unites these things, combines these things. Look at this. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, if it, judgment, first begin with us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Peter's saying this judgment is going to end with those that disobey the gospel of God. That same judgment begins with us and ends with their damnation. That's an amazing statement. Think about that for a minute. It's an amazing statement. This is not a penal judgment. I hope you understand that for the Christian at the house of God. I hope we're clearly understanding about that. It's not a penal judgment for sins for Christ has, by his own sacrifice, removed or satisfied such divine judgment. I hope we're all agreeable on that. I don't want to have to go into that very in-depth. But I hope we agree that it's not a penal judgment at the house of God. It is at the end, 
But it starts out as a judgment towards God's people, but ends up as a penal judgment for sinners. Same judgment. Isn't that amazing? Christians have a hard time understanding this, just like they have a hard time understanding the place of the law in the Christian life. For some reason, a lot of people today believe the law is against the Christian. It's something that's very terrible and bad. And, oh, we're not under the law. We're under grace and God's law. Nothing about God can ever be bad. It's God's law. He's holy. He's righteous. He's good. Paul even said the the law is good and holy and righteous. It's me that's bad. Nothing can be bad about God, especially His law. We don't have a God of the Old Testament, a God of the New Testament. We have a God that runs through the entire Scriptures. He's the same God. But Peter says here something amazing. That God would begin a more, a more gentle type of judgment upon His people, but then it will roll like a tsunami wave from His people to the ungodly and sinners. The same judgment that purges us, damns them. Consider that for a moment. That's an amazing thought. It's not one judgment for us and then God turns around and does nothing. No, it's, it's the judgment Peter's talking about begins at the house of God and it ends with damnation. We serve a sovereign God. He's as sovereign to the believer as he is to the unbeliever, whether they believe it or not. That's why I say we're not there yet. But Peter, at the end of this, says, as unto a faithful creator. Peter's the only one who uses that term, creator. And that's simply he who created all things. So he's simply saying, as a faithful creator, he is God. He is the sovereign God. So submit your soul to him. He's encouraging them to be bold in Christ. I like what John MacArthur said. I can't say it perfectly the way he said it, but something like this. The pastor's heart is not in, not in his petting and, 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 and pampering the sheep. It's in his keeping away the wolves. Most preachers spend, spend more time pampering the, the sheep that they forget the wolves. We, we live in a generation of Christians that are, like I've said before, are spineless and whining. Peter brings this out, brings them to the sovereignty of God. He brings them as a faithful creator. Remember, he's God. He's not a pacifier that sits there. He's God. So submit your souls to him. I love that. That gives me, that gives me great encouragement. That gives me great hope. Serving such a sovereign God. This isn't a penal judgment upon the house of God. It's a judgment of purging, fatherly chastisements. And as far as spiritual well-being and profit and His glory, it's not a penal judgment. It's a purging. It's a sanctifying. It's a chastening of God upon His people. Look at 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11.32. Look what Paul says here about, about this judgment. This 1 Corinthians 11, verse 32. He said, But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Sounds like Peter, don't it? 
You see why this was a great source of encouragement and comfort? If God's chastening you, if you're suffering as a Christian, if you're uh, suffering reproaches for the name of Christ, if you're in fiery trials, it's so that you won't be condemned with the world. God's keeping you close to him. God's treating you different under this judgment. He's preserving you and keeping you so that you, don't get, that you won't be condemned with the world. He said, oh, wait a minute, I'm in Christ. I'll never be condemned with the world. Oh, scarcely saved. Oh, we're stepping on grounds now that a lot of people have a hard time walking on. Scarcely saved. Not everybody who says there's Christians are going to be saved. Peter used the word scarcely. If the righteous scarcely be saved, barely, by the skin of their teeth, Peter's saying this judgment of the house of God is going to wean out the goats and the tares. And not everybody that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So be happy and be encouraged by the fact that God is chastening you so that you will not or cannot and never will be condemned with the world. You see the difference? It's good for me that I've been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. I went astray until I was afflicted, the psalmist said. In faithfulness thou hast afflicted me. In faithfulness. You see where Peter's coming with this? This is this was this was a source of great encouragement for the believers, the suffering believers. Yes. They're temporary sufferings that bring occasions of rejoicing and happiness in this present world, but they also are going to usher in a divine judgment in God's house so that you might not be condemned with the world. Fiery trials, reproaches, and sufferings as a Christian are God's divine forerunners, His harbingers of His coming judgment upon the house of God. They're just the beginning of that. must begin at the house of God because it is in this life only that God's people suffer afflictions. That's why he says must begin at the house of God. It's in this life only that God's people suffer afflictions. And beloved, these afflictions and judgments are for the strengthening well-being and comfort of his people. That's why he says at the house of God, the afflictions of God's people are only in this world. That's why he said, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Isaiah 48.10, the Lord says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee. Listen to me. I have chosen thee, he says. That means distinguished thee. I have proven you to be mine. Listen to this. That's what it means. I have chosen thee in the furnace of afflictions. So these suffering believers are going, if that's a distinguishing mark of God choosing me, then yes, I am comforted by my afflictions. This hymn we sing, the flames shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume, thy gold to refine. Begins at the house of God. Yet not so with the ungodly and sinner, who Peter says disobey or do not obey the gospel of God. It's not so with them. 
do you know, so that we can get a good comparison of this judgment, God's house flowing into or rolling over into the judgment of the ungodly, a beautiful illustration of that is seen in the three, three Hebrew children. Do you know the same fiery furnish, furnace which left the three Hebrew children unscathed, didn't touch them, consumed their enemies? You remember? He got so mad, he turned up the heat on the furnace. It got so turned up and so hot, so, so heated that the guards that were holding the three Hebrew children perished in the flames. The Hebrew children were not scathed in that fire. Not even the smell of smoke was on their body. That's the comparison. You see that? God's judgment on the, on the ungodly, they perish. God's children didn't scathe them. You see, that's amazing. I tried to dwell on this all day. Yesterday in my mind was thinking to just lose itself. That's amazing that God's judgment, this is God. This is a sovereign God, that his judgment can be so gentle to the child of God, yet that same judgment so condemning. And terrorizing to the ungodly and the sinner. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. Now the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his what? Judgments. And his ways past finding out. That the same flames of divine judgment that merely purge God's people for their good will one day consume and destroy the ungodly and sinner is an amazing divine truth. Didn't Paul say that about the gospel? We're a savior of life unto some and a savior of death unto others. What he meant when I preach the gospel, it'll either save you, it's the power of God unto salvation, or one day will rise up and it will condemn you. The same gospel, the same gospel that can save will be the same gospel that condemns you. And this makes this verse even amazing, that obey not the gospel of God. The gospel of God. The one thing, the power of God unto salvation, the one thing that can save a sinner, they disobey it, yet that gospel will rise up and condemn them. It's an eternity of damnation. Oh, sinner friend, it was better you never heard the gospel than to hear the gospel and reject it. I'm getting ahead of myself because I want to really look at these next week. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it, it would be better that you never sat under preaching. It's better that nobody ever opened the Bible to you. It's nobody's never. It's, it would be better that you never heard the name of God. But to hear the gospel and hear the word of God and to reject God, your torment is going to be greater than any other torment there is. Where shall they appear? You see that? Who are they going to stand before? What's going to happen to them? Peter doesn't even describe the torment and the devastation. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Let me bring this to a close a little bit here, how he says the gospel of God. I want to spend more time in the last two verses next week because I think that's relevant that we understand a little bit more of it. But he says the gospel of God. They obey not. we got such a weak gospel today. Like I said, the gospel today is weak. 
it's almost it's almost human, not godly. It's a weak invitation, giving the sinner the idea that I can refuse it or reject it. It doesn't matter. Well, we don't want to offend nobody. Let me tell you something. The gospel is the greatest offense against the sinner than anything in the world. The gospel is offensive. It should never be anything but offensive to a sinner. But we try to make it pleasing and acceptable. We water it down. Listen to what Peter says. They're not obeying. It's not an invitation. It's not a request. The gospel is a command. It's a command. And the churches throughout the ages, because they've had a lack of people in church or because out of desperation, they've changed it into something that is not the gospel anymore. They've made it weak. they made it weak and beggarly. got to be careful as a church that when we preach the gospel, we don't try to make it appeasing to men. We've got to pray that God give us wisdom and grace when preaching the gospel, that there would be an urgency in our voices that the time is now. The time is now. You have not tomorrow. We all know the story of Jonathan Edwards when he preached that sermon, and I know there's a lot of people that will dispute what exactly happened, but um, as far as I can tell from history, he preached heavens or he preached hell so hot people actually thought they were falling into hell. When George Whitfield preached the gospel and, and the, the damnation of God for those who accept not the gospel, many people would cry out as though they were dying and going to hell. Our forefathers preached with such urgency. Let me, let me tell you something. God did not provide a way. He did not provide a way. God paid the sacrifice. And it's not a provision, it's a command. You repent or you perish. Even Paul, when he says, I beseech thee, in Christ's stead, as ambassadors, I beseech thee, what? Be reconciled to God. Again, like we said yesterday, what's reconciled? Reconcile is two enemies that are apart. He's saying you we're at enemies. You're at enmity with God. You need to lay down that enmity with God. God's not going, oh, I wish you'd just come to me and I'll save you. And I, I wish you'd just change your mind and realize that I'm trying to do you good. And, and I've provided a way. I can't do any more for the God didn't provide a way. God made. He fulfilled. He shall save His people from their sins. So the message is, repent. Remember Acts chapter 17? Look at Acts chapter 17. When Paul met those who were ignorant about God, Acts chapter 17, the unknown God. Look what Paul says, Acts chapter 17 in verse 30, just get straight to the message. He says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He commands all men to repent. That's the urgency in the message. You're a sinner. You're without God. You're, ungod you're ungodly. You're going to die in your sins. You're going to go to hell. What's the, what's, the, what's the solution? You need to repent and obey the gospel. 
You need to turn from your sins, for there's a judgment coming. What do you mean by that? Well, let's just let Paul preach it. Uh, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. Sounds like Peter. He'll judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given him assurance unto all men, and that he's raised him from the dead. Because God's appointed a day of judgment. So Peter says judgment must begin at the house of God. But it will not stay there. It will roll on. Under the judgment of the ungodly and the sinner. And those that obey not the gospel of God. It's almost like an allusion to a tsunami. You know how a tsunami works? Uh, the rolling wave of a tsunami... Uh, slows dramatically when it hits the shallow waters. You know how waters come out? It'll slow down dramatically. Yet, behind it, in the deep, it's rapidly moving. So when those waters come back, and that rapidly moving water hits that water coming back, boom, you have a wave of force, and it goes up a couple hundred, they can travel a couple hundred miles an hour. I mean, fast as a jet, it could but it starts slowly in the shallow waters. It's almost like God's judgment. He starts slow, slowly in the shallow waters with his people, yet behind him there's a rapid, rapid judgment coming. And when God begins to recede and, and begins to end the judgment at the house of God, it meets that rapid flowing water that's in the deep and it comes back with a mighty force and it annihilates everything in its being. That's what's going to happen to the ungodly sinner. He's going to annihilate them. With no mercy, no compassion, he said, where shall they appear? He's going to annihilate them. How can I be an encouragement to Christians? Because Christ has saved us from that condemnation. Christ has saved us from that judgment. Christ has saved us from that. So if God chastens me, I suffer as a Christian. I suffer reproaches for the name of Christ. I'm in fiery trials. Thank God that those things keep me close to God because He distinguished me or calls me in that furnace of affliction. And thank God I'll never suffer the torments and the agony of that ungodly and sinner who shall be punished forever and ever under the judgment of God. So, We'll look at that a little more next week, but so let me end with Peter's words. Wherefore, if you know that, let them that suffer according to the will of God. It's according to God's will, not yours, anybody else. According, if you suffer according to God's will, okay, commit, give, commit the keeping of your soul. God will keep it. Commit it. This is a great exhortation. Commit the keeping of your soul unto Him in well doing. Keep doing good. Keep doing well as unto a faithful creator. And again, I encourage you to look at that. Only time it's used in this reverence, creator. Peter is the only one that used it, and there's a reason, because he's the creator of all the universe. No matter what the world says, no matter what the ungodly says, no matter what the sinner says, he's God. He's the creator of all universe. God give us grace as his children to hear what Peter's saying, so that we, in these latter days, we might be able to give glory unto God and learn what it is to commit the keeping of our souls unto Him and well-doing.
as the creator. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, Lord, how I do pray that the Holy Spirit of God would take your words, your words, and Lord, write them upon our hearts. I pray that, Father, you've enabled us all to learn and hear and understand a little bit, at least, of what Peter is exhorting the suffering believers to consider in his days. The time is come. That judgment must begin at the house of God. It is here. It is happening. Lord, it's ushering in a divine judgment. Help us, dear God, as thy people to see that. And as we see that, Lord, may we be ever thankful to Christ for paying our debts. And Lord, as we do, I pray that, Father, we would take the exhortation of Peter as well and take the gospel out with an urgency. With an urgency, dear God that today is the day of salvation you have not tomorrow. Judgment is right behind us. Like that tsunami wave, judgment is coming. It's going to come quick and rapidly. Lord, there's not going to be any time. There's not going to be any time. For it is appointed unto man wants to die and then the judgment. Oh, God, how we pray. Help us, Lord God, to preach it with that urgency. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.